a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us today. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. I've got Eric Peters from EPAutos.com joining me. Eric, welcome aboard. Well, it's great to be back in Golf's Gulch, isn't it? Isn't it? You know... I, I go in between, uh, you know, these these moods where I'm like, oh, boy, things are things are really getting crazy. And then I feel this yep. exhilaration when I see that there are people pushing back. And you and I were talking just before we jumped on the air here. Um, how about those airline pilots and air traffic mm-hmm. controllers? Uh, Southwest learned kind of an interesting lesson, didn't they? Well, they did. And what's even more interesting to me is the fail of the major corporate-owned press, which serves as the PR organ of the government and also the reverse, to uh, prevent the story from getting out. You know, they attempted to convey to the public that was what was happening in Florida with Southwest was just due to bad weather, oh, nothing to look at here, nothing to see with all these flight cancellations. Well, it turns out there was a mass walkout of people who work for Southwest Airlines uh, and flight controllers, pilots, uh, stewardesses, all of those kinds of people who just refused to be jabbed. And uh, they can't suppress it anymore. These people are now actually in the streets with signs protesting and saying they're not going to have any of it. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, courage is contagious. The CEO of Delta Airlines came out yesterday and said that he will defy the Biden mandate and will not impose jabs on the employees of Delta Airlines, which is wonderful news. And if this thing uh, takes on, gets, gathers more momentum, it's going to be unstoppable. Well, I'm encouraged to to hear this because uh, we're we're fast approaching the the biggest mass firing that uh, that I think we will have seen most likely in our lifetimes. Yeah, and that's what the threat is. But there's a greater threat, and that is the threat of debilitating, crippling, permanent illness or death. And I think that the reason we're beginning to see mass resistance to these jab mandates is because even though the media is not reporting on it, within these organizations. There are people who have gotten deathly ill or died as a result of having been jabbed, including professional athletes, including flight personnel. And the people who work with those folks, they know what went on. It doesn't matter that CNN isn't reporting it. They know. And if you see somebody that you knew that you worked with who was perfectly healthy one day, and then next week that person is dead after having been vaccinated, you're probably not going to submit to that jab. It doesn't matter how well-paid you are and how prestigious your job is. Death is permanent. You can always get a new job. Well, and and one of the things, I I saw an article recently that pointed this out. You know, the vaccination is supposed to provide a benefit at the individual level. In in, in other words, the, the selling point is, well, Eric, if you take the jab... You might still get COVID, but at least you won't get it so mm-hmm. badly. So there's there's the personal um, mm-hmm. the personal benefit for you, but it's not a, a societal benefit. In other words, it's not going to stop the virus. It's not going to prevent you from no. getting it or sharing the virus. So really, the public health authorities should not even be a part of that equation because it's a personal yeah, choice. Of the many critiques that can be leveled at what's going on, uh, one of the most powerful, I think, is the absence of nuance. Uh, we know that people's individual risk profile varies. If you're 84-year-old James Earl Jones with cancer, 
and heavily immunocompromised, then perhaps it makes sense to be vaccinated as he was, though it didn't help him much. He died anyhow. Um, but if you're young and healthy and your risk profile is essentially nil from getting, uh, from getting this Rona, why in the world would you? And why would the government or why would corporations try to force people to do that? That, that is a profoundly disturbing thing in my point of view. Um, and I think that people are beginning to ask the same questions that you and I have been entertaining on the air for the past year plus. Well, I, I'm grateful to see some pushback, but it's it's also pretty clear there. Uh, somebody's going to have to blink here pretty soon. Um, tell yeah. me your thoughts on the supply chain breakdown, because I'm getting some some whiffs of the idea that, well, if we all just get vaccinated, maybe we can relax mm-hmm. some of these regulations and get things moving again. Well, yeah, it's another attempt to use threats. Uh, and coercion against people, uh, you know, to pressure them to submit to this, which is itself another outrageous thing. We have a we have a government that is becoming indistinguishable from a mafia, an overt gangster uh, enterprise that uses violence. They threaten to kneecap you, break your legs or whatever uh, if you don't submit to what they tell you to do. And now what they're trying to do is threaten you with, well, you're not going to be able to get your food. You're not going to be able to get uh, the things that you need for ordinary life because we, you know, we have to make sure everybody gets the jab. This, this frantic desperation, this, uh, this, this push to get everybody jabbed is itself something that should make people start to question and think, what is the reason for this? It's clearly not a public health reason. If it were public health, the focus of this vaccination stuff would be on the people who are at risk, which is fine, that's reasonable, that makes sense, most of us can understand that. But the fact that they're trying to push this on everybody sets off all kinds of red flags in my mind and yours and I think in the minds of every thoughtful person. No, I, I'm with you on this. And it's it's a really interesting time, Eric. I know you've been doing your part to, to kind of shore up your own situation. I, I'm doing mm-hmm. the same on my end. Um, what, are, what are grocery stores like in, in your neck of the woods? Are you seeing gaps on the shelves? Are you seeing dramatic increases in pricing yet? Yeah, I'm seeing both, actually. The store shelves are beginning to get what I'll style the commercial hillbilly smile, you know, the toothless smile, where you see these great gaps in uh, shelves that used to be fully stocked. And in some cases, I was at Evil Mart, Walmart, a couple of days ago with my girlfriend, and we were shopping, and we went through the candy aisle because I've got a sweet tooth. And there was practically no candy. The whole aisle was bereft of candy, which was striking. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, outside of old documentaries about what life was like in the Soviet Union, where you saw these uh, state supermarkets where there were plenty of shelves but just nothing on them. Now, the other thing is the the rising prices of everything. Um, This is just anecdotal, and I'm sure other people out there have their own experiences, but I'll share this. I went to buy some groceries the other day, and uh, I got a couple of pork chops. Pork used to be really inexpensive, which is one of the reasons I bought it, because it was a great way to save money. You could get a pair of pork chops for five or six bucks, that same that same pair of pork chops is now about ten dollars, I and mean, that is a staggering price increase. Yeah, that steaks are unaffordable. Even ground beef has risen to absolutely unmanageable prices. And as I walk around and look at these people who are shopping, I wonder when is the breaking point going to be reached? You know, I know what I make, and I think I know what most people make. And you cannot just continue to exist when the cost of eating goes up twenty percent, thirty percent in the course of a few months. Something you pointed out in, in a recent article was, you know, how pork and chicken, things which used to be kind of, you know, low-cost staples or yeah. sources of protein, they're becoming like lobster. Well, we'll get some right. for a special occasion, but we'll only eat it, you know, yeah. on your birthday. 
Right. Isn't that sad? You know, you and I, when we were kids, yeah, lobster was a special treat or, you know, even a steak. That was something that you had maybe on Sunday after church or whatever. It wasn't the normal fare because, you know, it was fairly pricey and most people couldn't afford to eat that all the time. But most families could afford to eat chicken and pork. (laughs) Not anymore. And by the way, you know, you and I have talked about, uh, you know, raising our own food. And I raise ducks and I raise chickens. And I looked into the case to see what the cost of a duck is at my local supermarket. And for a duck, one duck, mind you, $42. Holy cow. So did you start filling out the loan paperwork or <laughs> right. bring it home with you? you know, I wonder when that's going to happen, you know, when they're going to financialize food and you're going to have to sign up for some kind of revolving payment scheme where, you know, you're just basically paying your X fee for a month in return for whatever gruel they decide to parcel out. Hold on to your hat, because I saw something which I was sure was parody last week, and I think this is actually legit. And it's a couple of different pizza places, like Papa John's, Domino's. We're talking Mm -hmm. big franchises that uh, are offering, uh, basically, you know, order your pizza, pay it off over the next six weeks. Sure. Ooh, that couldn't lead to any mischief. (laughs) It's inevitable. I think you and I talked off air once about something that happened. This was before all of the latest inflation of everything. This was probably about three months ago. My girlfriend and I had not eaten at a McDonald's in a long time, like several years. And we were just driving around, and we saw one and thought, you know, hey, what the heck, let's revisit and remember uh, the whole fast food experience. And we went in, and we got uh, each of us a hamburger. She got a Big Mac. I got a quarter pounder with cheese. We got a set of fries, and we were out of pocket more than $15 for that. Holy smokes. For fast food. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to just blame the politicians, you know, it's, I mean, they're, they're a convenient target, but um, we got, we're coming up on the break here. When we come back, mm-hmm. I, you had an article about what $5 or more gas would mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're, we're staring that in the face at this point, too. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Okay, so Eric Peters is on the line with me. Hang on, we're going to continue our conversation here in just a few moments. Our program is brought to you in part today by LifesavingFood.com. You know, going along with what Eric and I have been talking about, the price increases are starting to hit some of these food storage suppliers as well. I was talking with uh, Kendall from Life Saving Food just yesterday, and he told me um, they they can't keep eating the costs like they once did. So my listeners still get a discount. Use my last name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, at checkout, and we'll save you 20%. But uh, the time to act is probably sooner than later. This is one of those things I don't think we can put off indefinitely. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is on the line with me. And Eric, uh, I feel encouraged when I talk to you, and, and part of that is because you have been very consistently uh, a voice of reason and a, and a voice of, uh, of sanity in a world that otherwise is, is resembling clown world more by the day. Talk to me about uh, about fuel prices. Things mm-hmm. have kind of stabilized where I am in Idaho. We've been paying three seventy nine, three eighty a gallon for some time, mm-hmm. and it's holding for the moment. What are things like in Virginia, where you are? Oh, they're about the same. Uh, they're slightly less bad. Uh, gas here is about three dollars and twenty cents a gallon, but that is about a dollar and twenty cents more per gallon 
than gas was at the beginning of the year, which is a halting increase. If you work out the math, if you work out, you know, the typical car has about a 15-gallon tank, and most people fill up once a week, and that's four times a month. And if you do the math, uh, the the typical person is now paying well more than $1,000 more uh, to drive than they did last year. That's a heck of a hit to the wallet. And uh, the article that I wrote extrapolated that out a little bit and wondered what it's going to be like when gas costs $5. Note when, not if, when gas costs $5 a gallon. This is a deliberately contrived artificial scarcity thing. It is not the result of natural forces. It is not a market-driven thing. The reason gas prices are so high is because the federal government in the first place, under Joe Biden, has issued a very a variety of decrees that have halted exploration for oil, that have halted the construction of the pipelines to deliver oil, and sent a very clear message that companies that uh, drill for, that explore for, that transport oil are in the crosshairs. And therefore, that acts as an incentive to get them to get out of that business and into the green boondoggle business. So that accounts for part of it. And the other part of it, of course, is this general corruption of the currency that is making the money in our pockets worth less and less every day. So unless these policies are changed, and I see no sign of that happening, I think it is absolutely inevitable that the cost of gas is not only going to go up, it's going to go up a lot, and that is going to cripple the economy, and it's going to affect everybody for the extremely rich. Dang. Well, better to be aware and be able to, you know, start building your workarounds or at least, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe maybe we uh, we carpool with, with neighbors or whatever when we're making trips if, we're, if, we, if we have to. Something else that seems greatly impacted by all that's going on around us is the free flow of reliable information. You had a great article about yeah. when comedians are the last real journalists. Talk to me about yeah. uh, about the Joe Rogan saga. Yeah, it was really interesting. It blew up all over the country, I guess, about a week ago when, when uh, Joe Rogan interviewed Sanjay Gupta, who is CNN's chief medical correspondent, and in a very nice way, I thought, not in a belligerent way, simply uh, confronted him about the fact that CNN deliberately lied, overtly lied about uh, Rogan's situation. Rogan announced a couple of weeks prior that he had gotten COVID and that he had treated himself with ivermectin, not horse paste, not horse dewormer, ivermectin, and he was fine. Now, CNN mocked him and, and uh, portrayed him as an, a buffoon, an imbecile who was taking horse paste and horse dewormer and chuckling and laughing about it. And uh, Rogan asked uh, Gupta whether he was comfortable working for a news network that that, uh, peddled in deliberate lies and misinformation and asked him why he didn't correct them. And he really made him squirm and really put him on the spot. And it was brilliantly done. It was done with reason, with facts, in a calm manner. And it made Gupta look like the tool that he apparently is. I had hoped while watching that interview that I saw some spark of humanity and chagrin in Gupta and that he might perhaps reevaluate his position and start talking sense, uh, you know, rather than misleading people and confirming all of this, this, this despicable narrative that's being peddled to people. But nope, he went right back on CNN and became one of the, uh, the chuckleheads uh, and, and, and deceivers, purveying all of this misinformation and fear to people. It's very sad, but now we know who Gupta is and we know who Rogan is. And, and I agree. Gupta came off as slippery. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Ha ha ha! But no, mm-hmm. you're right. That's that's a serious uh, matter. And you know, and and I I loved that uh, Rogan followed up with, you know, if you guys would lie to us about this, what are you what are you telling us about Syria? Are you lying about sure, that absolutely. too? Absolutely. You know, I've been a journalist for 30 years, and it used to be 
that, uh, that, that a journalist was defined by their integrity. And if they were caught deliberately lying publicly in a, in a news piece, whether it was a written piece, uh, whether it was commentary, in a lie, there went their credibility. And they were done. That was it. People wouldn't listen to them anymore, and rightly so, because that is unforgivable. It's one thing to make a mistake and acknowledge it, uh, to say, you know, hey, I, I, this, this, I thought this was the X, but it turned out to be Y, and, and here's the straight dope. But to deliberately, with malice, go on in a public forum, whether it is on TV, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's in a print article, and to purvey a falsehood is unforgivable. No, I'm, I'm with you there. That, to me, is one of the, the most imperative things that we're facing right now is we've got to have good information in order to better understand what's really happening and to, to make the decisions ahead of us. And, and there are whole organizations, whole institutions now that are set up to prevent us from seeing clearly what's going on. That's true, but there is an upside to this, and uh, the Rogan Gupta thing illustrates what it is. It's become so transparently obvious that these people are not well-intended. That, that they're not honest brokers who've made mistakes or maybe they didn't have all the facts straight, that they are peddling an agenda, that they are trying to mislead people, that they are shaming and silencing people who simply dare to ask reasonable questions and want answers. That's why they have lost, when I say they, the, the mainstream corporate press, have pretty much lost any legitimacy with most people. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right. People don't trust the media anymore, and with very good reason. No, and it's. I, I hope people understand that neither Eric nor I am sitting here trying to tell you this is what you have to think, but we want you to have access to, you know, information that gives you the choice and gives you the opportunity to examine which ideas hold water, which ones don't. Right, exactly. You know, in my own work, whether it's electric cars or whether it's this corona stuff, I'm not telling people, oh, you shouldn't buy an electric car. I'm pointing out, look, here are the problems with electric cars, and you should be free to make your own decision. And it's the same with regard to the vaccines, the face diapers, any of this stuff. The information should be given to people so that they can make an intelligent and informed choice for themselves. That's the job of a journalist, and unfortunately, many journalists just don't do that anymore. Agreed. Now, we're down to a couple of minutes here. I'm going to take that time to, to point people towards your website so that they can see what it's like to, to experience real, free information. Talk to me about to what a uh, first-time visitor to your website is likely to encounter. Well, they're going to see something pretty eclectic. Uh, I, you know, I call EP Autos the, the web's best libertarian gearhead site because it's a place where you can find stuff that has to do with libertarian political philosophy, but also about new cars, old cars, motorcycles, transportation, the fun of driving, all kinds of stuff. And that's what makes it an unusual place. And we have a free, uh, free, freewheeling comments area uh, where people are posting about all kinds of things. So practically anything that you might be interested in, you'll probably find it there. Yep. And, and take part in the discussions that, that follow each, each article. You'll notice in the comment section. Comment sections are toxic on so many websites. Mm -hmm. You know, I avoid them because some will say the comments are like cancer. Don't read the comments. Yeah. Eric Peters Autos, this is the place where you actually want to read the comments because there's some really smart folks that are sounding off in there. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm often humbled by their erudition, their wisdom. Um, and the time they take, you know, some of these comments are themselves full-length articles and, and heavily uh, researched with all kinds of good links in them. Um, we also maintain a really civil space without it being a censored or a snowflake place. Uh, you know, people are free to talk about whatever they'd like to talk about, provided it's not just you suck, you stink, right. that kind of thing. 
Right. No, it's it, I, I have found that I have learned an awful lot, to, not just from reading your articles, but also from what your commenters have to say. So you want to feel a little bit smarter at the end of reading stuff? This is one place where the comments will actually do that. Most everywhere else, I, I urge people, don't read the comments. Not if you want to keep <laughs> your peace you, of mind. Yep. Eric, great to catch up with you again. Keep the faith, brother. I know I will. It, it feels like we're, we're, we're Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill only to have it roll back down every day, but I think we're moving the needle in the right direction here. I think we are, too. All right. We'll talk again next week. Okay. See you then. Again, that's Eric Peters from epautos.com. I've got a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Go show him some love on his site and maybe let his sponsors feel a little bit of your appreciation as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. I kind of hate to admit this because I don't want to sound like I'm as big a wimp as I actually am, but... I'm not enjoying grocery shopping that much these days. In fact, when I go to the grocery store, maybe it's because of of awareness, but I notice the increasing gaps on the store shelves, and that and that bugs me. It's it's just kind of a. It, it's not like oh, you know, the the world is falling apart. It's more like a, ooh, those gaps seem to be growing. And, and the second thing is, I look at the prices. And I, I am seeing a noticeable, like I can feel that in my pocketbook increase every single time I go to the grocery store. Some things have been pretty stable. Maybe it's because I live in dairy country, but I've got, you know, milk is still pretty affordable. But, whew, meats? I mean, you got to sit down and fill out the loan paperwork, you know, before you get started on a good roast or something like that. It's crazy. And so I've always embraced, well, always, since I had kids, since since my first was born about 27 years ago, I have really felt the need to be prepared as possible to make sure that we have stores of food laid up for times where there might be scarcity or things would be difficult to come by. And I never really, you know, I mean, I've wondered, how could it happen? Now I'm starting to see a time where, yeah, it's looking plausible. We could actually see want within uh, the very near future. And I tell you this because lifesavingfood.com has great products, but even they are starting to feel the pinch. You're going to see some price increases. This is just because they they can't absorb them all. You're going to notice that uh, the prices on some things, particularly meats, freeze-dried meats and and dehydrated foods, you know, entrees like that, they're, they're more expensive and they're tougher to come by. Don't let that stop you, though, from being consistent in getting your preps together. You can still get a nice discount by using the coupon code HIDE at uh, the checkout. The link is in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. So here's an article from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. thought this was interesting since this, the push for universal vaccination has been so relentless. Wouldn't you think that we would be seeing a corresponding decrease in the number of new cases with all the people who've been vaccinated worldwide? Well, a new epidemiology paper shows those areas with higher vaccination rates are not seeing fewer COVID-19 cases. 
which raises some very interesting questions about what exactly health planners are doing. John Miltimore says on Friday, the San Francisco Chronicle published an article noting that California has some of the lowest COVID-19 case rates in the U.S., even though the Golden State's vaccination rate lags many states that are currently struggling with the Delta variant. The Chronicle reported one clear example is the New England states of Vermont and Maine. Relatively shielded from the worst of the nation's previous surges, they have struggled against the Delta variant which has sent their case rates soaring. In fact, Vermont has the highest vaccination rate in the country. Among those 65 years and older, 99.9% are fully vaccinated and 74% of those 18 to 64 are fully vaccinated. That's according to data from the Mayo Clinic. But as as the Chronicle points out, despite its high vaccination rate, Vermont recently set a single day case record for the entire pandemic. And as of October 1st, Vermont's seven-day average case rate per 100,000 people was 30. That's about triple that of the Bay Area. From the San Francisco Chronicle, they say California, the U.S. coronavirus hotspot early this year, in recent weeks has recorded some of the lowest rates, case rates in history, in country, in the country rather, lower than some of the states that are more vaccinated. And they link to the New England states of Vermont and Maine. There's a Twitter link that that you can go to. So what the vaccines do and don't do is definitely worth discussing. And John Miltimore says, look, there's widespread agreement among scientists that COVID-19 vaccines are highly effective at reducing the risk of developing severe COVID symptoms, which can result in hospitalization and death. But he says their effectiveness at reducing transmission of the virus, however, remains a subject of debate, particularly since the CDC released its findings in July that show vaccinated individuals still contract the virus, transmit it, and carry just as many virus particles in their throat and nasal passages as unvaccinated individuals do when they contract the virus. So while scientists concede that the, vi- that the vaccines rather cannot stop transmission, many contend that they still reduce transmission of the virus. Johns Hopkins epidemiologists M. Kate Grabowski and Justin Lessler argued in the Daily Beast, we are confident vaccination against COVID-19 reduces the chances of transmitting the virus. But John Miltimore points out that other scientists are less sure, and a new study suggests that their skepticism may be warranted. The study published last month in the the European Journal of Epidemiology, that's a monthly peer-reviewed medical journal, examined 168 countries and at 29, sorry, 2,947 counties in the U.S. and concluded that higher vaccination rates are not associated with fewer COVID cases. According to the researchers at the country, at the country level, there appears to be no discernible relationship between percentage of population fully vaccinated and new COVID-19 cases in the last seven days. In fact, the trend line suggests a marginally positive association such that countries with a higher percentage of population fully vaccinated actually have higher COVID-19 cases per 1 million people. Now, at the county level, the researchers said there also appears to be no significant signaling of COVID-19 cases decreasing with higher percentages of population fully vaccinated. So these findings don't suggest that people shouldn't get vaccinated. Again, there's robust evidence showing vaccines do reduce the risk of severe symptomatic COVID-19 reaction. But what the research does suggest, however, 
is that vaccines are primarily a matter of personal health, not public health. Now, that's exactly what Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine who studies epidemiology at Stanford, recently suggested. Bhattacharya noted that research indicates that the mRNA vaccines produced by Pfizer and Moderna offer abundant individual protection. Bhattacharya credits his own speedy recovery from COVID-19 to the vaccines, but they don't contribute to herd immunity or improve public health. Now, the findings published in the European Journal of Epidemiology help explain why U.S. states like Vermont and Maine are suffering massive case outbreaks despite their high vaccination rates. And public health experts also point out that California has a much higher level of natural immunity than its eastern counterparts, that according to the Chronicle. But it doesn't explain why so many continue to maintain that the vaccines reduce transmission of the virus as well as offer protection to individuals, despite an abundance of evidence, both empirical and anecdotal, to the contrary. One explanation can be found in an observation from economist Ludwig von Mises. John Miltimore writes, Mises famously observed that much of the strife in the modern world is a struggle over who designs the world, authorities or individuals. Now, as Mises put it, we can either have the democratic process of the market in which every individual has his share or the exclusive rule of a dictatorial body. So if getting vaccinated is simply a matter of individual health, Well, there's little reason for the planners, as Mises called them, to exercise control over the public. That would be akin to requiring individuals to have cancerous tumors removed in the name of public health. But if not getting vaccinated is a threat to public health or society, well, then central planners have their reason, if not a valid justification, to exercise control over society. In other words, evidence shows that COVID vaccination is primarily about individual health. And that runs counter to the raison d'etre, I'm saying that wrong, the reason for existence of the planners, which is to exercise their plan over society. Mises argued in Planned Chaos, what those calling themselves planners advocate is not the substitution of planned action for letting things go. It is the substitution of the planner's own plan for the plans of his fellow man. The planner is a potential dictator who wants to deprive all other people of the power to plan and act according to their own plans. He aims at one thing only, the exclusive, absolute preeminence of his own plan. So John Miltimore says, for people trying to understand why, for the first time in modern history, public health officials are trying to combat a respiratory virus by coercing healthy individuals to take their desired actions, and in many cases lose their job and basic freedoms if they don't, he suggests that Ludwig von Mises is required reading. Great quote here, too, from a Dr. J. Bhattacharya, saying there's a lot to learn from this graph, but most obviously this is the lesson. covid vax does not stop infection. The vax provides a private benefit, protection versus severe disease, but limited public benefit. So what is the argument for mandates? I thought that was an interesting twist. I hope you feel the same. Nevertheless, you can find it in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Again, I'm going to encourage you, please check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Whether you agree with me or not, not a big deal. I share this information with the understanding that you are free to crumple it up and throw it in the trash can if that's your desire. Or you can take it and run with it. That choice is up to you. I'm just doing the best I can to push some good, thought-provoking information your way so that you can think a little more clearly and a little more independently about the world around us. But at no point is it implied that you must agree if you're going to listen to this program. It's okay. I'm totally okay. If you if you see a better way, then by all means go. And, and I would encourage you, if you see a better way, for heaven's sake, say something. I think most of us are trying to find our way in a rather unpredictable world. So I think we kind of have a little duty to help each other there. So if you want a down and dirty recap of why the supply chain woes are growing, got a number of environmental policies that are actually adding fuel to the fire. And there's an excellent write-up from James Howard Kunstler. This was published on lewrockwell.com. Counting the ways that we're being steered into a new, more dangerous crisis. Now, he starts with a couple of swipes at Pete Buttigieg, and, you know, this is, take it for what it's worth. But he says, does America, what America really wants to know is, after those months of family leave, did Pete Buttigieg get the hang of lactating? James Howard Kunstler says, hey, if sexuality is just a social construct, then the functions of sexuality must be teachable. Now Pete can move on to ovulation lessons and become the birthing person of his dreams. Pete's dreams are America's dreams, you see. But he says, in the meantime, America has a little transportation problem that a secretary of transportation might look into if he wasn't so busy performing a gender re-education parable for the woke family values crowd. Namely, that federal rules combined with California Air Resource Board regulations are destroying the trucking industry, a major link in the broken supply chains for the gazillion products and parts that an advanced technological economy needs to keep on keeping on. So here's the lowdown. Under the rules, for example, California wants to phase out tractor-trailer rigs more than three years old and eliminate all trucks that run on fossil fuels by 2035. Now, it happens that most of the truckers who service the ports of Southern California are independents, meaning they have to buy their own rigs, on which many make the equivalent of a mortgage payment because a semi-rig can cost as much as a house. Now, of course, the rig must be allowed to operate for the duration of the loan. The new government regulations cancel that financial formula and with it, the trucking industry. So, so much for the good intentions of the eco-wonks. James Howard Kunstler says, Secretary Pete may have paid attention to the developing trouble at the shipping container ports in late summer and started an emergency review of these untenable rules and regs. But instead, while learning the ins and outs of chest feeding, he allowed the system to break down. Now, the reality spinners in the Joe Biden news media would like you to think that that breakdown only applies to Christmas swag for the hoi polloi. No inflatable Frosty the Snowman for you this year, you deplorable insurrectionist gorks in your sad little towns out there in the flyover gloaming. (laughs) That's quite a phrase. Actually, though, it applies to most of the things even super hip wokesters need every day in the normal course of things. 
and especially the replacement parts for all the engines and machines that American normality depends upon. Plus, the situation has already moved into food supplies. Now that it's broken, the shortages may persist as far ahead as anyone can see. So James Howard Kunstler says, let us count the ways that America is committing suicide by Democratic Party policy. There is front and center Joe Biden's vaccination mandate with no basis in law, by the way, that's destroying most of the critical services industries in the nation. The hospitals, school systems, police forces, firefighters, ambulance squads, airlines, railroads, restaurants, you name it. No vax, no job for you. And no resuscitation for the unfortunate persons writhing on the floor of their kitchen in myocardial infarction. He says, I'd say that depriving folks of their livelihoods while ensuring harm and death upon the citizenry is a bad combo for public order. One can easily imagine the righteous wrath building to the point where the lampposts in capital cities are decorated with the dangling government officials who caused this to happen. Then there are the vaxes themselves and the COVID cat that dragged them in. He says, do you feel all warm and fuzzy over a shot that will turn your body into a spike protein generator? Considering how spike proteins behave in a human vascular system? Got any more questions or doubts about the number of adverse events seen so far? Looks like more than 10,000 deaths in the USA directly attributable to the vaxes under the VAERS registry. And millions of injuries around the world. Not to mention the murky origins of the disease, the participation of U.S. public health officials in its design and development, and the colossal profits reaped by the pharma companies that sell the vaxes. Have you noted the draconian desperation to vax up absolutely everybody, despite some excellent reasons for people to say, no thanks? Does the big picture look a little nefarious to you? Like some parties are out to bump off a pretty large number of people, including parties who have stated out loud that steeply reducing the global population would be a swell idea. Now he says, in the course of an average day, do you ever think about all the people from around the world who are jumping the U.S.-Mexican border? It's thousands of them each day and millions piling in over the year 2021 under the averted eyes of Joe Biden and company. Now some of them are criminal opportunists who, how shall we say, aim to blow stuff up in this country. That's apart from the economic burdens that the nonviolent ones will impose on the nation. Can you blame genuine U.S. citizens from regarding this as an affront to common sense and common decency? Not to mention an insult to the law and the Constitution behind the law. Well, it is, you know. James Howard Kunstler says since it's the federal government's duty to control entry across the border, and since Joe Biden directed the Border Patrol to not perform its duties, will you be surprised if the citizens develop the notion that they have to defend the border themselves? And he asks the question, do you think economic collapse will make any of this better? As winter looms, you'll have plenty of time to mull that over, all bundled up in your kitchen with the propane tanks empty and the last can of cold SpaghettiOs in your gloved fist. But he says, when the time comes for that, don't expect Joe Biden to be reading Thanksgiving homilies off his teleprompter. He will be gone and the Democratic Party horse he rode in on with him. And when that time comes, we will be ready to start stitching things back together again in this land. Perhaps a bit differently than the way we'd gotten used to. But he says, be patient and brave. Our time will soon be at hand. 
Now, I get it. That's, you know, that last part's a little, little apocalyptic there. Winter looming, <clears throat> propane tanks empty, a cold can of SpaghettiOs. Yeah, that's, that's pretty dire. But this is also very much in keeping with that whole fourth-turning methodology of historical cycles. Think back to the Revolutionary War and the founding period that followed it. Was hardship a pretty common part of American life during that time? That's a simple yes or no answer. But I think there also has to be the consideration of did something good come out of that willingness to endure the suffering? And I think the answer would be absolutely it did. Fast forward to the Civil War and Reconstruction. Sorry, I don't like to call it the Civil War, but the the war between the states and Reconstruction. Was there a lot of suffering then? Oh, you bet your bippy, my friend. 600,000 people killed, millions displaced. Was the outcome better? Well, on the one hand, you know, slavery went away. On the other hand, a different kind of slavery to a national government as opposed to a federal government was implemented. So, yeah, that was a mixed bag. States' rights were pretty much placed on life support at that time. Fast forward another 80 to 100 years and you have the Great Depression and World War II. I think we could safely say 65 million deaths worldwide, suffering on an unprecedented scale. The world powers aligned differently when it was all done. Some things were good, some things not so good. I mean, we we learned about the Iron Curtain after that. Just understand, we are headed into a similar time of upheaval. And it's going to include civic decay. It's going to include, most likely, war in the sense of some kind of geopolitical conflict. It's going to include economic difficulty. There's going to be real suffering. Now, my point here isn't to scare you. It's just to point out we have been through things like this before. I go back to what Isaac Morehouse is suggesting. Do you want to see a better outcome? Focus on becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. Honest, true, courageous. You'll have more influence than you think. And greater things are ahead. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Okay, so every so often I have to ask myself, self, why do you do this? Why do you crack the mic open day after day? Why do you talk about the things you talk about? Why do you risk scaring people or otherwise uh, just reinforcing that, yep, yep, things are falling apart like a soup sandwich? And, you know, this, I think it's a good exercise to do this. And I think not just for me, but for anybody, you know, when you're doing something, are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you, is there a purpose? Are you on target? That kind of thing. So I ask myself this on a fairly regular basis. And, and I've got to give a shout out to my friend Ruben, who uh, messaged me yesterday. And he said something that just really stuck in my brain. And, and to me was, was one of those great moments of clarity where it was like, oh, no, actually, this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And all he said was, he said, keep up the resistance. The next hero is listening. 
And for some people, that may not mean anything. But for me, that is precisely why I do what I do. I don't know who these words reach. I don't know who these articles reach. I don't know who, know who this message is touching. But I'm confident that there is, there is someone, maybe there are numerous someones out there who are going to be heroes in the truest sense of the word. And they're looking for truth. They're looking for encouragement. They're, they're looking for that reinforcement that they have something to do. And I guess I'm mentioning this because, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable or anything here, but um, maybe you are one of those heroes. I'm not a betting man but I'd probably bet on it. <laughs> I'd put money on it because I think the number of people in, in our society right now who are, are looking for truth and, and willing to look for truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it forces them to challenge some of their previous assumptions, I know they're out there. And even though they're in the minority, I know that they need that encouragement. And I'm certainly not the only one offering it. But that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. So... Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. and <laughs> I will now move on. One of the things that uh, I've been watching with some interest is, uh, you know, people who are waking up to what's going on all around us. And, <clears throat> for instance, if you've ever wondered how those people who lived under the Third Reich could have become conditioned to accept the inhumane treatment of other people. I mean, come on. I think most people who are familiar with the history of what the Nazis did when they were in power, or for that matter, you know, what the Soviet, the Bolsheviks did, you have to ask yourself, how do people become so indifferent to the suffering of others? And I think we usually do it from a position of, uh, you know, the moral superiority. Well, I know I would never do anything like that. I wouldn't be guilty of such things. But I would encourage you, take a look around you. If you want to understand how the people who lived under these despotic regimes from history, how they could have become conditioned to just accept other people being marginalized, singled out, denied their rights, their human rights, and ultimately rounded up and, uh, you know, exterminated. Take a look around you. Because there's something very similar that's happening today. Now, no, we don't have people goose-stepping around in the marketplace, and we don't have somebody with a funny mustache, you know, shouting orders and orating to us. I mean, the mustache part's, you know, the part that's missing, but we do have some pretty weird shouting and stuff. But beside the point, the goals may be different, but the process of dehumanization is very much on display right now, right in front of us. Came across a great article on intellectualtakeout.org. Pedro Gonzalez is the author, and it's called The First, I'm sorry, The Impending Mass Firing of America's Unvaccinated. And I'm not trying to stir up a fight here with anybody. I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to tell you, boy, you better get in one camp or the other. I think it was Paul Rosenberg who last week pointed out. If you don't stand up for the unvaccinated today, it's a pretty safe bet you wouldn't have stood up for the Jews in 1938 Germany. And to some people that sounds, you know, unbelievably harsh. How could you even suggest such a thing? 
But you got to remember what happened to the Jews. The concentration camps, the final solution, did not come all in one big fell swoop. It came incrementally. Little things, little by little. And that's what we're seeing play out today. Pedro Gonzalez talks about a guy by the name of Zach Spolar, who found himself running around in a frenzy amid the COVID-19 surge in December, tending to three or four patients at once, laboring into the night at a Los Angeles hospital. The hardest thing Zach said, this is the hardest part of the job, was having to constantly console people who couldn't be with their loved ones in the intensive care unit, even if they were dying. Well, now Zach Spolar is among many of the essential workers threatened with unemployment and diminished job prospects for refusing vaccination. Police, firefighters, doctors, nurses, paramedics, airport security, prison guards across the country are facing termination this week if they don't comply with their employer's vaccine requirements. Now, many have already lost their jobs. Many have been disciplined. Others say they'll define the vaccine mandates on principle. But the bottom line is, as a result, we're going to see essential workers soon in short supply in many parts of America. Now, I'm going to pump the brakes here for a second and just ask you, what's your gut reaction? And if your reaction is good, good, they didn't do what they were supposed to do and therefore they ought to suffer for it. Then I'm going to suggest that the person who is lacking moral decency in this equation is not that person who's refusing the vaccine or is about to be fired from their job for failure to comply with this policy. It's you. Why would you wish harm on someone because they didn't do something that you think they ought to do? Now, Spoiler says, look, I'm not opposed to vaccination in theory. In fact, his wife already got the shot. But he is a young and fit individual with antibodies higher than they would be with a vaccine thanks to getting COVID from a patient before Christmas. Zach says, the only reason I got sick is because I had a week where I worked six days in a row with crazy hours. I wasn't getting any sleep. I was all run down. So for him, not getting the vaccine boils down to a matter of principle. Why force someone to take a drug they don't want or need? And Pedro Gonzalez writes that Spolar is now reduced to part-time contract medical work with lower pay, no benefits, retirement, or upward mobility, as no hospital will hire him unvaccinated. And with Los Angeles County's vaccine passport mandate for restaurants and movie theaters, retail establishments, and other places, he can't even move freely in the city he serves. And of course, you probably realize he's not alone. Los Angeles City employees are required to be vaccinated by today. Roughly a quarter of Los Angeles fire personnel have signed a notice of intent to sue the city if they're terminated for not being vaccinated. And there are rebellions in other parts of the country as well. In Newark, New Jersey, firefighters and police officers are protesting the city's vaccine mandates. In New York, Governor Kathy Hochul announced she will deploy the National Guard to compensate for staff shortages due to the firing of unvaccinated nurses and hospital workers. Now, the U.S. federal government has set a deadline of Monday, November 22nd, for all civilian federal workers to be vaccinated. The Transportation Security Administration has said 4 in 10 of its employees are unvaccinated. 
Now think about what this means. I don't know if uh, that that date, November 22nd, besides John F. Kennedy's assassination, that means that that deadline could come right before one of America's biggest travel periods, that being the Thanksgiving holiday. Wouldn't that be a great time to have 25% uh, less, actually almost 50% less, staff manning the airports, the Transportation Security Administration? I know there's some people going, good, <clears throat> let's get rid of it altogether. <clears throat> but consider that there there are consequences that go beyond just forcing the employees. Meanwhile, U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency is in an uproar over Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas threatening to terminate a significant portion of the unvaccinated workforce. Now, similar protests and potential firings over COVID vaccines are happening all over America. In government workplaces at the federal, state, and local level, as well as in many places of the private sector. We're going to come back to this article in just a moment, but again, I'm going to ask you, what is your reaction to these people who are about to be turned out of their jobs, not because of, you know, malperformance on their part or because they were, you know, in some way, you know, causing harm? They simply haven't chosen to go along with a dictate that government really has no right to issue. Do they deserve it? Or do we need to stand up for them? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to drop in a quick word here about one of my sponsors, that being lifesavingfood.com. I uh, spoke with uh, Kendall yesterday. And, you know, we, we've been very grateful, I've been very grateful, I should say, that uh, over the past few weeks, prices have held pretty steady on, on these food storage uh, items. Kendall reached out to me yesterday and said, hey, the price increases are starting to kick in. And it starts, of course, with the meats and things like this, but he says that uh, there, there are legitimate difficulties in getting new supplies of dehydrated and freeze-dried food. Now, none of this is intended to cause you to panic. It's not like, hey, 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 don't think, man. Just, you know, get your wallet out and make, a, make an order right now. All I'm pointing out is the supply chain breakdown is definitely increasing. All right, that said, let's get back to Pedro Gonzalez's article about the impending mass firing of America's unvaccinated. He talks about how uh, two days ago, I'm sorry, he says two days before he spoke with this nurse, Mr. Spolar, in, in Southern California. An anesthesiologist named Christopher Rake was escorted out of UCLA Health in California for refusing to be vaccinated on the grounds that it violated ethics and personal freedom. Now, Rake had created a support group for like-minded medical workers, Citizens United for Freedom. That was made up of both vaccinated as well as <clears throat> unvaccinated members. Pedro Gonzalez says, Rake talked to me about his final days on the job. In fact, he says, I wasn't put on the schedule on Friday, October 1st, but I went to work anyway, and it was a good thing I did because they called me and they said, we need your help in operating room 8. Somebody called in sick. 
and everything seemed fine until Rake received an email later informing him that he had been placed on administrative leave without pay. Still, he came into work the next Monday, and after a confusing discussion with management about whether he had been terminated or not, security guards led him off the campus. Now, Rake was one of just many casualties of the first vaccine mandates imposed in September and early October. A hospital in upstate New York made so many of its nurses resign mid-September over the vaccine, it actually had to, d- to suspend delivering babies. Three weeks later, Northwell Health, New York's largest health care provider, fired 1,400 employees over the same issue. By October 6th, Kaiser Permanente had placed 2,200 employees on na- nationwide on unpaid leave. But it's not just hospital workers who are getting co- cut or forced out. Josh Sadley is a veteran Beverly Hills firefighter who says, me and my coworkers never took time off because of stress. He's explaining what it was like working through the pandemic. And he says, when we got sick, we took COVID leave and then came right back to work afterwards. It wasn't devastating for any of us. <coughs> Excuse me. Sadly, contacted the vi- contracted the virus on the job. And he isn't necessarily opposed to vaccines. However, the aggressiveness of the mandates and the skepticism of or skepticism rather of the pharmaceutical industry led him to request a religious exemption after he prayed about the issue. And sadly says the Beverly Hills City bureaucracy swatted down the initial slate of applications for religious exemptions. In fact, the city implemented its own process to judge applications, which included religious tests to determine if one is in fact a true believer. Sadly described it as an interrogation about his religious beliefs. On the day that the firefighters were scheduled to receive word on their exemptions, Beverly Hills City Council member John Mirish published an ominous memo in the Beverly Hills Weekly. Religious exemptions are meant for deeply held and sincere religious convictions. He wrote, they are not hall passes for those who don't want to take the vaccine, however strong those feelings are or whatever conspiracy theories they may believe. Now, Satley and his colleagues took Mirish's letter as a sign that they never had a fair shot. And they were right. Out of 25, <clears throat> excuse me, applications, the vast majority received only temporary exemptions, which will be reevaluated at the end of an interval. Half a dozen applicants, including Satley, were outright denied. So Satley says, I told the city no after he learned of the decision and the ultimatum he faced to get the jab. The next day on Friday, they shot me a letter stating that I was going to be on leave without pay and I was relieved of duty. Now, termination could be next for him. California firefighters have their own Bill of Rights, which, in theory, provides them with the most thorough privacy protection of any public employee in the state. But among other things, it entitles them to due process and protection from interrogation. But all that has taken a back seat to the ongoing state of, or the ongoing medical state of exception, he said. So even when they get exemptions, unvaccinated firefighters are subject to a kind of soft discrimination. Sadly, says the city has removed anybody with an exemption from the front lines. They put them on a rig that doesn't respond to any emergency calls. They only go to fire-related calls. They're ordered not to respond. They're not allowed to be involved with patient care, even though they're meeting the county mandate. And the result of those segregated rigs is a, is a delay in response times 
with parts of the city going uncovered by paramedics providing advanced life support resources. In other words, in the name of public safety, Beverly Hills officials are actually making the public less safe. Okay, similar story from Willie Amalu. He's a San Francisco firefighter. And and the, the list goes on and on. Now, this is a pretty lengthy article from Pedro Gonzalez, but it's definitely worth your time. I'll have it linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Here's what he says, though. He says, it's unclear what the contingency plan for mass firings of essential workers looks like. Firefighters and paramedics are not easily replaced anywhere in America. Even before the pandemic, localities across the country were battling shortages of medics and firefighters. And the same goes for police departments. Indeed, amid the ongoing crime surge, dismissing cops over vaccine noncompliance is a little bit like playing Russian roulette with public safety. A new Guardian analysis found homicides across the 12 counties that make up the greater San Francisco region soared 25% in 2020, compared with the previous year. That's 114 homicides more than the year before. San Francisco Police Department's currently short 400 officers and has a hard time attracting new recruits. Nevertheless, Pedro says an officer with that department told him about 100 unvaccinated officers are on the chopping block. Even the Coast Guard has hardened its stance due to what it sees as a double standard in the military. When the vaccinated catch COVID-19, as they often can and do, no one seems to mind much. But when the unvaccinated fall ill, ooh, there's hell to pay. According to the Coast Guard, senior leadership is hugging this line where they say, we're not punishing you for being unvaccinated, we're just trying to be safe. But it's starting to feel more and more like it's punishment. So now the question is, How many people is the military willing to lose? I mean, the Coast Guard assists in various domestic missions from law enforcement activities to search and rescue operations. Replacing them isn't easy, and discharging them doesn't make America safer. The Army's making a similar gamut. 485,900 active-duty soldiers have until December 15th to be vaccinated. Another 336,500 National Guard and 189,800 reserve troops have until the end of next June. But with looming deadlines, hundreds of thousands more, all across the other branches, haven't complied with the vaccine mandates. Now, Pedro Gonzalez uh, quotes uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote that the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. And Pedro says, excuse me, Pedro says something similar can be deduced by how we treat the unvaccinated. These essential workers kept their jobs before vaccines were available. Yet they and their families are now suffering professionally because of the mandates. And they're suffering financially because of their conditions. The unions are against them. Their superiors have turned on them. Their cities have shunned them. They served America, but America is turning its backs on them. Does that seem right to you? This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. 
We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. So I think I showed up with about 90% of my voice today. I'm going to make this work, but uh, if you hear me clearing my throat, I apologize. It's terribly unprofessional. But i got to keep talking. By the way, our show is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, also LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Just wanted to point out I've got some great sponsors. If you would like to become a sponsor, go to my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com. There's a link you can click to become a sponsor. It's, it's very affordable. I will tell you right now, I do not have the biggest audience in broadcast. And I'm totally okay with that. Because what I have instead is I have a very active and engaged audience who listens and who processes what is being said. And, I mean, would you, would you rather have people who are really listening or a bunch of, you know, superficial people who are indifferent? I can connect you to the ones who listen. Well, we got some great stuff to talk about here. I want to start on a positive note this time around. I, I know with all that's happened over the last couple of years, I totally get why many people are feeling pessimistic. I have to fight back those feelings myself. I mean, I, there's things that I see that I just go, oh boy, <laughs> this, is, this ride is getting really uncomfortable and I hope it slows down or stops soon. But while the developing supply chain crisis is yet another stressor to deal with, it's also kind of a hidden blessing. Now, I know you're thinking, what a stretch. How is this going to be a blessing? Well, Eric Ward has a great article on uh, AmericanThinker.com that explains why there are some hidden blessings that uh, provide clarity as to what's taking place thanks to this supply chain breakdown. He says the Chinese character for crisis also means opportunity. And there are several blessings hidden amid the current supply chain crisis. So one of them is exposing our dependence on Chinese goods. He says, you've likely heard about the dozens of ships lined up outside the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles. These ships and the millions of containers they're waiting to offload are filled with toys, electronics, textiles, automobiles, appliances, building supplies, tools, pet food, batteries, solar panels, car parts, microchips, and on and on and on. All made in China. And he says, our decades-long offshoring of manufacturing has made us dependent on a foreign adversary. He says our annual trade imbalance with China regularly exceeds $70 billion. Now what that means is we are overly dependent on China for many of the things that we consume. And he says we should use this opportunity, in quotation marks, to reevaluate our purchases He says, do we need all this stuff? And if so, can we not look to domestic alternatives? Maybe use this crisis to bring manufacturing home? He says, let's use this season to resist buying more and more Chinese crap. Shop local, support your local mom and pop, look for the Made in USA label. Okay, not a bad suggestion. The other bright side of this growing crisis of the breakdown in our supply chain is that of government incompetence. 
The crisis has exposed the incompetence of Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and a myriad of government bureaucrats. Now, a plethora of government busybodies has damaged our market system. And while they will blame the market or suggest that this crisis is a success, he says it's abundantly clear that elections have consequences. Some segment of the electorate may have chafed at President Trump's mean tweets or his braggadocio, but at least things worked during his tenure. So the author here says, it's my hope that the people see this crisis for what it is, and that is a foreshadowing of life in America under communism. Government doesn't need to take over the means of production if it can effectively take over the corporations that control the workforce or the means of production. That's a little something to think about, too, with all those vaccine mandates. Vaccine mandates have dictated the winners and losers in our economy. Leftist corporations are proceeding with abandon in the wholesale destruction of millions of wage earners. No doubt these plebs will be given some menial tasks to perform, possibly the construction of their own gulags. Okay, that's not a very optimistic note, but his point is well taken. And he says, President Trump would remedy the above two scenarios in a New York minute. He would overturn Lesko Brandon's unconstitutional vaccine mandate, incentivize production at home, and create opportunity zones for Americans to offshore the manufacturing of, to onshore rather, the manufacturing of things that Americans consume. He also would expose and clear out the vast incompetence deeply rooted in Washington, uh, in government bureaucracies rather, from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco Bay. Now, there's a lot I agree with here that Eric Ward is saying, and and part of it is looking on the bright side. We are seeing how dependent we become on China. That's a good thing to know. It's good to recognize that, yep, that dependency is not helping us. It's good to see the incompetence on the part of government. I mean, look, I've avoided piling on Pete Buttigieg, but um, the, the press, in trying to either endear him to us or otherwise excuse his uh, curious absence at a time when, you know, so many parts of the supply chain are breaking down due to transportation issues. I mean, as the Secretary of Transportation, you might think he would have some interest in this, but no. Buttigieg and his partner are at home with their newly adopted baby learning how to breastfeed. I know, it's, you know, for some it's it's a tender moment. For others it's like, why is the media telling us this? Are we supposed to just kind of, oh... And ignore the fact that uh, we're no longer able to get the things that we need. I mean, I think it's great and all that, uh, you know, Pete and his partner were able to adopt a baby. And, you know, that they're learning some some of the intricacies about breastfeeding, which it turns out, you know, biologically born men really, uh, you know, they don't, that just doesn't come natural to them. They have to do some workarounds. Fascinating as that is, <clears throat> I wonder if he might do his job. And and the other thing here, this this is, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to pick on uh, Eric Ward here. Okay, Trump may have done things different. But I think it is a mistake to look to Trump or any other politician as, well, this is the one we need to get in here and solve this. What he describes in terms of all of the um, government incompetence doesn't call for smarter government to manage the market for us and to regulate and, you know, to make things happen. 
If anything, this proves the point. We need government to step out of the way and let the market function. There were some hopeful thoughts that that might start to happen back in the early days of the pandemic. Remember when, you know, certain guidelines were waived, you know, certain regulatory things set aside so that more uh, more people could domestically manufacture masks, for instance. We need more people able to innovate and produce without first begging for government permission. And I do think the truest thing that he says in in his piece here is that uh, you don't have to be under communism or take over the means of production. Government doesn't have to directly control the means of production if it can effectively control the organizations or the corporations, rather, that control the workforce and the means of production. I mean, that is the big lesson that we have seen writ large over what is happening right now. The corporations have plausible deniability. We're just doing what the government tells us to do. We have to, you know, otherwise they're going to fine us. And, And I guess we're supposed to feel sorry for them. And this is tough for me because the libertarian streak in me looks at this and says, well, uh, you know, I don't want to <clears throat> I don't want to deny them their private property rights if it's a private corporation. But if that corporation is operating in concert with government. I'm not so sure it's a private corporation anymore. I think they may have actually surrendered some of those private property protections by getting into bed with government in the first place. So I don't know what the I don't know what the logical solution is here. I'm just pointing out this is not a case of well but these these you know these entities these corporations really are purely private not when they're doing the bidding of government and especially when they're doing the bidding of government in ways that are actively dismantling your liberties and my liberties and and uh, setting aside matters of conscience now i don't think the the solution is well we need to get government to rein these things in i mean come on are you paying attention It was government involvement that got us in trouble in the first place. Take government out of the equation. If these corporations want to do what they're doing, hey, they're free to do so. They're also free for their workers to walk off the job. Southwest Airlines, do you have any thoughts on this? Just wondering. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Got to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah at 619 South Bluff Street. If you are one of the very lucky people who is, uh, you know, relocating from a place where freedom is less common, you're coming to the Intermountain West, particularly to the great state of Utah. Well, first of all, congratulations. I think you're going to find a lot of great things going on there. It's not perfect, but it's it's a heap better than, than some of the other places, which is probably why you came there in the first place. If you're looking to make a purchase of a home, you probably already know it's the craziest real estate market most of us have ever seen. So when you find the home of your dreams, you got to have your financing squared away right now. 
And this is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes in. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She clearly understands the ins and outs of what the lender needs, what the borrower needs, and she can make it happen when time is of the essence. Her NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. And you can call the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage at 435-703-4522 or click on the link that I provide in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. It's an email link and it will take you directly to Heather herself. All right. I want to keep on kind of a positive note here as, as we're moving forward into this hour. Again, I do what I do because I believe that somewhere out there is a hero who is just looking for reassurance and looking for truth and light to enable them to stand up and do what they were born to do. And it may be you. In fact, after you hear what Isaac Morehouse has to say here, uh, you you may definitely feel like, hey, uh, maybe it is me. See, the more I learn about the problems at hand, the more I'm starting to realize that the solutions we need start at the individual level. Isaac Morehouse has a brief but powerful edition here that uh, was published on everythingvoluntary.com. It's titled, You Are the Answer to Every Problem. Now, I know our tendency is to hide behind a little false modesty, possibly because we're trying to avoid, you know, drawing attention to ourselves, or maybe we're trying to avoid responsibility. Listen to what he says, though. Listen to how he answers these questions starts with the question, how do we make the world a better place? Isaac Morehouse's answer is, make yourself a better person. How do we expand freedom? He says, make yourself more free. How do we improve people's habits and health? And Isaac Morehouse says, well, kill your bad habits and get healthier every day. How do we spread truth and light? Isaac Morehouse answers, always tell the truth and purge darkness from your life. How do we encourage courage and virtue? His answer is pay the price for doing what's right. How do we improve education? Isaac Morehouse answers, push yourself to learn every day. How can we improve families? And his answer is, improve your family. I love this last one. How can we curb misinformation and programming? The answer is, never follow the news. Isaac Morehouse says, we is nothing. You are the only thing. Now, I'm going to go back over these just a little bit because I, I want to break these. I mean, some people would say, well, they seem very trite. You know, yeah, so just do it yourself. Do it yourself. Bootstraps and all that. But I want to read into his answers a little bit and just explore. What could this mean? How do you make the world a better place? Well, you make yourself a better person. Okay. How do you make yourself a better person? I would say that starts with knowing who you are and knowing what you stand for. Now, you don't have to go to a shrink to get that figured out. An exercise that I have put to to work in the past and that I have actually found very, very productive. 
is to get away from all of your electronic stuff, get away from the hustle and bustle of traffic. If you can, find a place in nature, someplace with solitude, with quiet, with beauty. I don't know why, but that's important. It, it seems to inspire. Take something you can write with, not a laptop. Take a pencil and paper and sit down and just start writing. What's right in your life? What are you grateful for in your life? What do you see in your life that brings you happiness or satisfaction? Any person who does this is going to find that they have a better understanding of who they are as well as what they stand for. And notice I'm not saying write down everyone who's ever made you mad, everything that's ever ticked you off. Focus on what is good, what you find rewarding, what makes you feel alive. That's knowing yourself. And once you know yourself, you have a direction to go and you can become that better person. How do you expand freedom? Make yourself more free. The key to this one is just stop asking permission. Government's never going to give you the permission to defy its dictates or to disobey. So be a free person. Make your way peacefully, of course. You don't want to infringe on other people. You don't want to damage them or their property. But choose to be more free. Choose to stop asking permission. Choose to, I'm going to put this in environmental terms. Choose to uh, shrink your governmental footprint. There you go. How do you improve people's habits and health? Kill your bad habits. Get healthier every day. That should be pretty self-explanatory. Be willing to see things as they really are. And don't minimize. How do we spread truth and light? Always tell the truth. I think back to <clears throat> to Alexander Solzhenitsyn and that council about don't participate in the lie. Now the lie takes many different forms. Don't be somebody who helps to spread or carry the lie along its merry way. And if there's darkness in your life, I'll give you an example of this. Um, somebody posted this on Twitter the other day. Twitter is an amazing resource. And as I read how this person was describing what they, what they had observed about Twitter, I realized, hey, this is how I'm using it. And that is, I can find some very good information, you know, just things that point me towards articles that I can then read and decide for myself. And yeah, there's some negative stuff. In fact, some of the most vicious ratioing that I've ever seen in my life takes place on Twitter. But you don't have to follow people who just are there for the, the blood sport. Block or don't follow the people who thrive on conflict. Purge that darkness from your life and follow the people who do bring light to what they're sharing. I would say this applies to pretty much any media source, but I was particularly thrilled to see that about Twitter. How do we encourage uh, courage and virtue in the world around us? Pay the price for doing what's right. And that can take a lot of different forms. And, uh, you know, I live in Idaho now, and uh, I see Ammon Bundy out there on the campaign trail. The guy's running for governor. He's a great example of someone who pays the price for doing what's right. How many people do you know would be willing to sit in prison for two years, only to be freed, never convicted of a crime, and then go on with their life and still be as absolutely firm in their convictions, if not more firm than before. 
There's a reason that he scares the crap out of the political establishment. And it's because he has paid the price. His worst critics, and he's got some really nasty ones. I mean, they make the folks on Twitter look pretty reasonable by comparison. Uh, they, they, they still cannot take from him the fact that he was willing to suffer for his beliefs. Well, they have not. I don't know if that makes them feel inferior, and that's why they, they lash out with the kind of bitterness that they do. But, yeah. Someone who has actually suffered for their beliefs is someone who you can definitely take more seriously than those who have never felt consequences for their opinions or for their ideals. I got a link to Isaac uh, Morehouse's article. You can see it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show.